next thing they'll be breeding us like cattle for food. You gotta tell them. You gotta tell them. Promise, Tiger. I promise. I'll tell the exchange. You tell everybody. Listen to me, Hatcher. You gotta tell them. Corporations are people, my friend. We gotta stop them somehow. Today on Legalese, we are talking about the myths and misconceptions of corporate personhood. Hey, greetings, everybody. Welcome back once again to Legalese. As always, I am your host, Bob. Thank you so much for joining me here today. And now, if you happen to be new to my channel or this program, welcome. This is a podcast where we're going to be discussing all things constitutional law, as well as current events in other areas of law, politics, and culture. So today, we are going to be talking about corporate personhood. I I'm going to be uh, responding to uh, a comment slash question I got uh, from someone on a recent video of mine. Uh, so, well, here, why, why don't we just go right to the question? Just jump right into it here. So, it, because I don't know how to pronounce his screen name, I'm just going to call this user Gigi. So, Gigi, thank you very much for this question. I appreciate it. And essentially what we're going to be talking about here is uh, that he says, uh, my, one of my main objections to corporations and their granted status of rights is that they are derived from nature. The government is an artificial body politic. The artificial entity was never granted the power of reproduction. In creating or granting the creation of forming corporations, they are reproducing or creating artificial persons. That is a power which only nature can create, and to take that one step further, they grant those corporations natural rights. Yes, people can join together, but that does not rob them of their rights to join together and be granted additional rights, and only grants them rights they are not authorized. It does not take forming a corporation to run a company. However, by forming a corporation, individuals can shield themselves and their assets. Even ownership can be hidden, and they go on to say, uh, do you feel the corporations largely owned by foreign entities should have a voice or money in American government? Uh, they say Russia, China, Germany, or any other country has an open door into our government by way of corporations. So again, uh, Gigi, uh, thank you very much for that comment. I hope I can uh, do it justice here. Uh, and this is going to give me a chance to address a number of topics that I don't really get to touch on here on the show very often. So I always uh, appreciate that. Now, there are a number of issues uh, that I want to address with this. So I'm just going to lay out uh, the places uh, where I think this sort of conception of corporations is simply uh, a misunderstanding of the meaning of corporations and of rights, uh, and then we'll be kind of tying it all together. I'll be going through each one of these points. So, first, corporations are not natural persons. Second, they are not given natural rights. Third, natural rights are not the only rights that exist. Fourth, corporations aren't given additional rights. Fifth, the private for-profit corporations that are being criticized in this comment are just one of a vast 
number of structures or organizations that can be classified as a corporation, and six, foreign corporations, in fact, cannot spend money or influence U.S. elections. And I will be uh, going through these one at a time uh, and explaining why each one of these is true. Now, the vast majority of misconceptions that people have about corporations come from a fundamental misunderstanding of the doctrine of corporate personhood. Now, many people believe uh, corporate personhood establishes that corporations are natural persons with natural rights, and this is simply not the case. So, uh, to understand why this is, uh, we need to define our terms. So, let's start with the difference between uh, natural persons and legal persons. So, in jurisprudence, a natural person, also known as a physical person, or in some commonwealth countries, a natural entity is a person uh, in the legal meaning of the word, as in one who has a legal personality, who is an individual human being, distinguished from the broader category of legal persons, uh, which may be uh, private, such as business entities or non-government organizations, or public, such as government organizations. And in contrast, in law, a legal person is any person or thing, or somewhat less ambiguously, any legal entity, that can do the things that a human is usually able to do in law, such as enter into contracts to sue and be sued, to own property, and so on. Now, the reason for the term legal person is that some legal persons are not people. Companies and corporations are persons, legally speaking, because they can do many of the things that ordinary people can do, but it is not them being people in any kind of literal sense. And next, we have to understand the different types of rights that exist. So, we have natural rights and legal rights. So these are just sort of the two primary categories. This isn't even really a complete look. This is just a look at what's relevant for us. So, natural rights are those rights that are not dependent on the laws or customs of any particular culture or government, and so are universal, fundamental, and inalienable. Natural law is the law of natural rights. Whereas legal rights are those bestowed onto a person by a given legal system, the concept of positive law is related to the concept of legal rights. Now, what do I mean when we talk about legal rights? Well, a, a good example would be things like procedural rights, uh, you know, double jeopardy, the right against self-incrimination, the right to a trial by jury. These are procedural rights, and because these are clearly rights that require an entire legal system to be in place for them to even make sense, they could not possibly be natural rights, as juries don't exist in nature. Neither do criminal courts or criminal laws. Now, another kind of legal rights, and this will be most uh, immediately uh, pertinent to our discussion today, would be what are known as privileges and immunities, which generally tend to refer to the rights of, uh, well, in England, the rights of subjects, and in the United States, the rights of citizens. And this includes things such as the right to vote, which is a privilege of citizenship, but don't let the term privilege fool you. A lot of people seem to think that this is proof that they're saying this is something that can be taken away. That's not what this is 
at all. Do not think we are talking about anything less than an, a, a real, actual right. A privilege is a particular kind of right. And that is, it, a privilege is a right to have something or to do something. Whereas an immunity is a right to be free from something or a right to not do something. So this is why voting is a privilege of citizenship, and it is also an irrevocable right. But to get to uh, probably the most important definition for today, corporate personhood. So corporations are entities that act as a single fictional person, much like an actual person. A corporation may sue, be sued, lend, and borrow. The expression of this form, structure, and power make up the concept of corporate personhood, or also known as juridical personalities. And it is the legal notion that a juridical person, such as a corporation, separately from its associated human beings, like the managers, owners, or employees, has at least some of the legal rights and responsibilities enjoyed by natural persons. Now, in most countries, a corporation has the same rights as a natural person, specifically when it comes to the right to hold property, to enter into contracts, and to sue and be sued. And thinking about that definition, I think it is easy to see why corporations are so much more than just private for-profit businesses. It is any entity empowered to act as a single person. So everything from a nonprofit and a charitable organization are corporations, as well as departments of governments. And in many cases, even governments themselves could properly be called corporations. Uh, many people uh, speak of the Constitution as being something of a corporate charter. And while that's not exactly right, it's really close, and it's certainly a helpful analogy. And this is the real origin of the term body politic, the corporate body of the government. And the same is true for things such as labor unions or political parties. These are also corporations, and to understand why we create corporations and why they can be both useful and beneficial to the society in which they exist and the people with whom they interact, we can turn to the great common law jurist William Blackstone in Book 1, Chapter 18 of his legal treatise, Commentaries on the Common Laws of England. And in there, in his chapter called Of Corporations, what he has to say is, We have hitherto considered persons in their natural capacities and have treated of their rights and duties, but as all personal rights die with the person, and as the necessary forms of investing a series of individuals one after another with the same identical rights would be very inconvenient, if not impracticable, it has been found necessary, when it is for the advantage of the public, to have any particular rights kept on foot and continued, to constitute an artificial person who may maintain a perpetual succession and enjoy a kind of legal immortality. These artificial persons can be called the body's politic, body corporate, corpora corporata, or just corporation, of which there is a great variety subsisting for the advancement of religion, of learning, and of commerce. In order to preserve entire and forever those rights and immunities, which, if they were granted only to those individuals of which the body corporate is composed, would upon their death be utterly lost and extinct. 
He goes on. To show the advantages of these incorporations, let us consider the case of a college in either one of our universities founded at Studentum Orandum, which is for study and prayer, for the encouragement and support of religion and learning. Now, if this was merely a voluntary association, the individuals which composed it might indeed read, pray, study, and perform scholastic exercises together so long as they could agree to do so, but they could neither frame nor receive any laws or rules for their conduct. None, at least, which would have any binding force. For want of a, coerce, a coercive power to create a sufficient obligation. Neither could they be capable of retaining any privileges or immunities. For if such privileges be attacked, which of all this unconnected assembly has the right or ability to defend them? And when they are dispersed by death or otherwise, how shall they transfer these advantages to another set of students equally unconnected as themselves? And he goes on. So, also with regard to holding estates of other property, if land be granted for the purpose of religion or learning to 20 individuals not incorporated, there is no legal way of continuing that property to any other person for the same purpose, but by endless conveyances from one to another, as often as the hands are changed. But when they are consolidated and united into a corporation, they and their successors are then considered as one person in law. As one person, they have one will, which is collected from the sense of the majority of the individuals, and this will may establish rules and orders for the regulation of the whole which are a sort of municipal law of these little republics or rules and statutes which may be prescribed to at its creation and are then in place of natural laws. Instead, we have the privileges and immunities, the estates and possessions of the corporations when once vested in them will be forever vested without any new conveyance to new succession. For all the individual members, that have existed from the foundation to the present time, or that shall hereafter exist, are but one person in law, a person that never dies, in a like manner as the River Thames is still the same river, though the parts which compose it are changing every instant. And so I think at this point we can begin to discuss some of the arguments that I would like to make in favor uh, of corporate personhood and the pur purposes that it serves. So, why should corporations have rights? Well, the thing is, it, this really isn't so much about what most people think. Most people say corporations are people, but that's not really why they have rights. Rather, they have rights because people are corporations. The idea of corporate rights is based on the simple fact that an individual should not lose their right when they form into a group. Now, bear in mind that even though some rights that they are granted to that are granted to corporations may also exist as natural rights of individuals, uh, but what they have is not a natural right; they have a legal right. Now, one of the most common and most disagreed with rights that corporations tend to have is a right to speech and expression. And while freedom of speech is a natural right, 
The right of corporate speech is a legal right defined in statute and code, so we do have the power to somewhat constrain that speech right and are not as expansive as the natural right to freedom of speech. But why should corporations even have speech rights, I hear you asking? Well, remember, corporations are just groups of people, which does include private for-profit and even, you know, large uh, corporations, but it also includes unions. Unions are corporations. Some churches are corporations. Private schools are corporations. Public schools are corporations in a different way. Uh, Nonprofit organizations are corporations. Advocacy groups are corporations. If corporations didn't have rights, then a nonprofit group like the ACLU, who exists to advance the First Amendment civil liberties to free expression and free association, would, very ironically, be able to be censored by the government. If corporations didn't have free speech rights, then the NRA and GOA could be uh, censored simply because the government decided that it didn't want to tolerate a pro-2A advocate message. So, at this point, I want to pose a simple question to those out there who are against the legal rights of corporations and who wish to see this overturned. Does anyone who claims that since corporations are not natural persons, they should have no rights believe that the FBI should have the right to enter and search the offices of something like a nonprofit corporation, like the example I just went with the ACLU. Should the FBI be able to enter and, enter and search the offices of the ACLU without probable cause or a warrant, and should they be able to seize whatever they want? Should they be able to do this to the offices of labor unions? How about your business? Just a little local business which are, is incorporated. Lots of very small businesses are incorporated. Should the FBI have the right to go into these small businesses and take what they want, look at what they want, and disregard uh, any right to search or seizure? Because the one thing stopping them from doing this is the Fourth Amendment. And if you believe that corporations have no legal constitutional rights because they're not persons, you really have no means to object to as far as uh, Congress empowering the FBI to do these sorts of things. They would be able to just simply seize their property. They could take the buildings, the cars, the bank account that these entities owned, and they could do so without due process or just compensation. And if you believe corporations have no legal or constitutional rights, what possible constitutional objections could you have to such laws and actions? Another crucial point that people rarely consider is that there is always a flip side of legal rights, and that is legal responsibilities. Because corporations are people, they can sue but they can also be sued. Now, this is a requirement for anyone who would want to hold a corporation accountable for something like, say, a theft or fraud. Also, corporations have the right to make and enforce contracts. This means they also have an obligation to honor the contracts they make. Corporate personhood is a mechanism that allows an individual to hold a corporation accountable for breach of contract. 
and corporations can own property, but this means they must also respect the property rights of others. Corporate personhood is the mechanism that allows us to protect our property rights from encroachment by corporations. This also begins to touch on the point that corporations allow people to shield their assets and hide their ownership. These things are both technically true, but are stated in a way that makes it sound, I believe, much more uh, nefarious than it actually is, at least in my opinion. Now, a corporation does create a legal entity, and the firm's assets and income are then separate from the owners and the investors, and this just means that while a shareholder can lose whatever value they may have invested in the company, the people cannot come after them for their personal assets that were in no way invested into that corporate entity. Which sounds like a win-win if you ask me. If a corporation does something shady or illegal, this allows the person who was wrong to hold the corporation itself as an entity liable. Otherwise, you would have to sue every single individual who had shares of ownership in the company and collect some percentage of what you were owed based on their individual stake in that company. Now, if you were wronged by a company, would you rather have to sue thousands of people for damages equivalent to what their personal ownership stake was in the company, or would you rather there be one single legal entity that you can hold fully accountable. Personally, I would much rather there be an individual legal person that I can take to court as though they were a single individual, but that's just me. And I want to point out here that you don't mistake the points I am making here as uh, just someone being a complete corporate chill, claiming corporate personhood must be an entirely positive thing, because that is not at all my position. I mean, can giving corporations legal rights have negative consequences? Well, yeah, sure, but that's really not relevant to the question at hand. The most common complaint we hear about giving corporations rights tends to come from the recognition of corporate speech rights. Protecting that right, the argument goes, will produce bad outcomes, and primarily it will severely exacerbate the problem of corporate influence on government. But even if that's true, it's not really relevant. Either the First Amendment protects certain speech, or it doesn't. In general, a law that violates the Constitution cannot be upheld because the law produces good outcomes. And similarly, a law couldn't be upheld because its invalidation would produce bad outcomes. Now, many people think that here in America, we are much too far gone in terms of corporate control of politics. Now, my position is that this problem is very overrated, but it is a problem. It certainly is a problem. And our current campaign finance regime does contribute to that problem, but that's not relevant to the corporate rights question. 
I mean, the fact is we also have racism in this country, and that's a problem too. And allowing the KKK to hold a rally contributes to that problem. And as disgusting as what they have to say is, that doesn't mean they don't have the right to say it. And invoking the state interests is also not a persuasive argument because that can justify virtually anything. And that rationale and that argument has been used to curtail civil liberties in many other contexts at home and abroad throughout all of history. So let's take on the final question, uh, which uh, what it said was, do you feel the corporations largely owned by foreign entities should have a voice or money in American government? And he said Russia, China, Germany, or other, any other country has an open door into our government by way of corporations. So do I think corporations owned by foreign entities should have a voice or money in American government? Well, no. Foreign corporations probably shouldn't have the ability to spend money or peddle influence among our government, which is why it's already illegal. Now, I will the relevant laws here, and I will be putting links to the full text of these laws down in the show notes page so you can go and look at them for yourself, but really briefly here. The relevant laws we're going to be discussing are Title 11 of the Code of Federal Regulations, Section 110.20, 52 U.S.C. Section 30121, 36 U.S.C. Section 510, and 52 U.S.C. Section 30109. And yeah, links to each of those statutes or regulations will be found on that show notes page. But to uh, summarize how these laws prevent foreign influence briefly, essentially, the Federal Election Campaign Act prohibits foreign nationals from making contributions or expenditures in U.S. elections, and this prohibition applies not only to federal elections, but also to state and local ones. The foreign national prohibition is broad, restricting avenues for foreign funds to flow or to be accepted by political campaigns, parties, or political action committees. FICA bars foreign nationals from directly or indirectly making contributions or donating anything of value in any federal or state election and prohibits contributions to political parties and other political committees, uh, and that is subject to 52 U.S.C. Section 30121, subsection A1. And any person, uh, in this particular case defined as a U.S. citizen, may not solicit or accept a contribution or donation from a foreign national according to the terms in 52 U.S.C. Section 30121, subsection A2. And here again, this is where corporate personhood, at least as far as I'm concerned, is a benefit. When we talk about a foreign a national, we mean a foreign person. And foreign corporations are legal persons because of corporate personhood. This is why foreign corporations can't spend money or peddle influence in our elections because they have corporate personhood. Now, foreign nationals, to continue on here, uh, may not make expenditures, including independent expenditures, which uh, is just electioneering that will call for the election or defeat of a particular candidate 
or other electioneering communications which will mention candidates during pre-election period but do not expressly advocate uh, either election or defeat. So, the Federal Election Commission regulations under Title 11 of the Code of Federal Regulations, Section 110.20, barred foreign nationals from participating in decisions about how U.S. unions, corporations, and political committees, such as political parties, participate in American campaigns. Now, other provisions in FECA or other FEC regulations, such as those concerning coordination between campaigns and other entities, could be relevant in specific circumstances because the FEC is responsible for civil enforcement of federal campaign finance law and regulation. The agency may refer cases of suspected knowing or willful violations as defined by 52 U.S.C. Section 30109, Section A, 5, Subsection C, including regarding foreign funds to the U.S. Attorney General for criminal investigation. And, despite the fact that people will constantly claim that somehow the Supreme Court uh, changed this in their 2010 Citizens United opinion, uh, this is refuted uh, by the fact that, uh, as I have, well, First, by the fact that I've shown on this show several times before that the only people who criticize Citizens United are people who have never actually bothered to read the case brief. Because it says absolutely nothing that could possibly suggest this is correct. That these foreign uh, corporations could have any kind of influence in spending or peddling influence whatsoever on our government. But... Besides that complete lack of evidence in favor of the argument, there is significant evidence that goes directly against the claim that foreign corporations may spend money and peddle influence on our government. And this comes from the 2012 Supreme Court case in which they upheld the lower court's decision in Blumen versus Federal Election Commission when they refused to extend their reasoning in Citizens United to cover foreigners living here temporarily. Now, uh, the court just affirmed the opinion, so there isn't a full majority opinion from the uh, Supreme Court itself, but this was a case that came out of the Third Circuit, and so I will put the full uh, majority opinion and case brief from the First Circuit, or excuse me, the Third Circuit for this case of Blumen v. FEC, uh, as well as a link to uh, the brief affirmation that the Supreme Court granted when it heard this case. Uh, you can find those on the show notes pages, but... Sort of to sum it up really briefly, it, what this was about was that foreign nationals other than lawful permanent residents are completely banned from donating to candidates or parties or making independent expenditures in federal, state, or local elections. And the issue was whether Congress violates the First Amendment by making it a crime for individuals who lawfully reside in the United States but are neither U.S. citizens nor permanent residents under the immigration laws to make independent expenditures or campaign contributions in connection with any federal, state, or local election, or whether, as the district court held, 
The ban satisfies strict scrutiny as a piecemeal attempt to reduce the influence of how voters will cast their ballots of aliens whom Congress may suspect of lacking a primary loyalty to the nation. And this case was uh, eventually affirmed by the Supreme Court on January 9th of 2012. So, at this point, I think I've made it pretty clear what my opinion is on this matter. Uh, so, at this point, I want to ask, what do you think? Uh, I know uh, from past videos I have done on similar uh, topics that there are plenty of people out there who follow my content who very much uh, disagree with my stance here. Uh, that while corporate personhood can certainly be problematic, that in the grand scheme of things, the existence of corporate personhood is a net positive for society as a whole. Not just for corporations, but for each and every one of us. But where do you come down on this issue? Uh, I would love to hear your thoughts and let me know uh, in the comment section of the video. Uh, and if you could also just take a moment and do all of those things that help to trigger Al Gore's rhythm for me, I would greatly appreciate it. If you liked the video, hit the thumbs up button. If you hated it, hit the thumbs down button. Uh, if you're not subscribed to the channel, do that so you can, uh, you know, always find out when I have new content coming out. Uh, and check the show notes page for links to my webpage where you can find more information. Uh, you can support the show, uh, do all kinds of other cool stuff. So, uh, yeah. Anyways, until next time, this has been Bob for Legalese, talking about corporate personhood, and of course, as always, Cartago de Lenda Est. Like Freddie Mercury <laughs>